Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast. This is Antonio, and episode 99, uh, one episode away from the big 100. And I have no idea what I'm doing for that show, but that's for a couple of weeks. We'll worry about that then. I'll tell you one thing, there'll be some new music coming, and uh, that will be a lot of fun. But uh, today, I'm joined by with my friend uh, ward rosen again hi ward hi how are you and uh ward suggested i don't know was it last week or something week, week and a half ago i guess that yeah that we do a, a a show on um talking about walker evans and uh, i know you wanted to do a show where we're on opposite sides and so we still <laughs> where we have a photographer where we can i don't know duke it out opposite with. sides on this guy he's uh pretty formative important guy so yeah I think there'll be a lot of agreement i think we'll just... i think so too so when you suggested uh we talk about walker and uh, i decided to do my deep dive into him to uh prep for the show uh i realized that i i, I have a crush on walker <laughs> a photographic crush i should say um and i realized that uh somewhere like as a young person I was introduced to his work, whether it was at a, um, you know, a museum or books on my mom's shelf or something, you know, and, you know, I, I've gone and see his work back and forth over the years and, and, but I haven't really dived into it in a while and I never really, you know, did a deep dive reading about him. Right. Uh, so when you suggested, I was like, okay, cool. And, you know, picked up the books that I had and I'm like, oh, right, this, this is him. Right. I mean, like that, that I forgot his pictures, but I was like, you know, it was good to come back to them. And, um, you know, so I went a little crazy <laughs> writing the show notes. Uh, yes. I, I purchased, this is the most expensive podcast, uh, episode that I've done so far. Cause I think I've purchased three books, uh, in, in the past week, uh, with Walker Evans in it. And so, yeah, it's a little starstruck when I'm coming to this work. Well, he's an important guy. I mean, there are worse photographers you could try to emulate or be influenced by. That's for sure. Yeah. So, well, why don't you, why is he important? Why do you say that? And well, I'm really, I'm really curious about that because I mean, I agree, but. Well, it, he's important in the terms of, in terms of Amer American history of photographers. He came at a time where remove, where the Americans, uh, American photographers are moving from view cameras and large, large, um, you know, equipment installations, all that sort of thing towards roll film cameras. And there was a, a financial upheaval of the Great Depression mm -hmm. across around the world. And a lot of what we look back on now as his most important work came from that time period, the 1930s. So there was that going on. And yes, he was still using a view camera, but his background really informed how he would use it. And, you know, he was born to a, a fairly well-to-do family, was able to go to the best university, Ivy League schools and so on, spent some time in, in uh, France and Paris and took all that in, came back and got a job with uh, Roy Stryker and the uh, farm, what's it called, the Farm Service? Farm Security Administration. Farm Security FSA. Administration, thank yeah. you. Um, and it, taking pictures of of folks living out in rural areas and their hard scrabble existence. And from that came 
project for a magazine that he was eventually, uh, I think it was, was it through Fortune? or Fortune magazine, yeah. yeah. Through Fortune, he had a collaboration with a writer, a young writer at the time, James Agee, and they came up with, uh, they were originally going to go do a, a magazine article, which never materialized. But they had so much material in terms of both photography and poetry and prose that A.G. created. They turned it into a book, uh, created a book out of it, uh, which didn't really see the light of day uh, until, I think, 1941, I think, when it was published. Uh Uh But by then, the United States had entered the Second World War, and they were all, everyone was, you know, had their ears glued to the radio. (laughs) So they were not really interested in photography books. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we're kind of getting into his his bio already. But he, yeah, he yeah, had yeah. this he had this this miracle is not the right word, but this kind of understanding that what he was doing, um, he was trying to inform somebody else. He wasn't just shooting pictures to do a magazine assignment. There's a real gravity to what he was doing, uh-huh, uh-huh. and the way he shot and how he how he composed his pictures differently from photographers before him. And he seemed to feel the real responsibility of in the work that he created. You know, going, going through his, his bio and finding out his origins, um, was really interesting to me to, you know, uh, I've been reading about a lot of photographers who haven't been, who I, who may be considered like we consider Americans, but weren't born here. Like I just finished a book on Robert Kappa and he's Hungarian and uh you know robert frank and uh he's actually i can't remember where he's from but he's not he's american swiss. He was swiss. swiss right and so they're all doing these typical american things and coming across walker evans uh and finding out yes he was horn he was uh, homeborn in the united states st louis uh but eventually moved to uh connecticut and new york when he was very young and you know, knowing that he like lived in the same town that I did and see see the same sites that I've seen, uh, is is kind of what always drew me to him. Um, and you know, again, jump we'll probably jump ahead here, but he was one of the first people to go ride the subways and take uh, candid pictures of people. Now we all do that. <laughs> it's just it's nothing new now. Yeah. Um, but it was a big thing for for uh, him to do in the, in the uh, late late forties, I believe he did that. But uh, uh, his his um, his life was I wouldn't say like it was interesting and but not like um, I want to say not exciting. Uh, it was like a steady you know push um, as I as I read through his things. There was a lot of you know uh, ups and downs. Um, some interesting trips. Uh, he ended up going to Cuba. Uh, one of his first assignments was, uh, going to Cuba and photographing, uh, where he began to sort of pick up his style. Uh, and, uh, yeah, before that he ended up, uh, when, after he has announced himself as a photographer, you know, actually he wanted, he studied literature, right? And he wanted to be a writer, right? but he couldn't, I, I don't think he thought he could write well enough. And so he ended up picking up the camera, which ended up being his way of expressing himself, uh, which is like a lot of us do, you know, um, we can't do something else and we end up taking, picking up the camera. But one of his first jobs, I don't, I don't know if you knew this, he like, he got hired by rich people during the depression to go on a trip to Tahiti. Oh Did no, you know? I didn't hear this one. No. Oh, <laughs> this was, uh, it sounded like something he wasn't very into. Um, but in, in just at the beginning of the depression, 
uh, somehow he got a, uh, a job to uh, follow some rich people on a, on a yacht. They were taking the yacht to Tahiti. And, you know, they essentially hired him to photograph the whole trip, you know, which actually sounds like a very modern job. You know, yeah. people are doing that now. And um, the rich people wanted to leave because they wanted to escape the depression. And I think partially he didn't mind doing it in the sense that he'd like to get out of town as well. Right. But I'm pretty sure he despised the, the rich people. I think he was a little bit on the anti-rich uh, and to-do uh, mindset. Um, but the pictures from there, the few pictures uh, I've seen from them are really, really beautiful work. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then, like you said, he went to, he, um, he actually dropped out of school. Uh, he went to, spent a year in France, which, uh, influenced him, uh, came back to New York city and worked on wall street as a clerk. <laughs> which, well, you know, to see, try to see how the other half lives maybe. I yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so funny. Someone who didn't really care for the, the well-to-do, you know, working on wall street and following rich people. So I uh, think that he, uh, well, he announced himself as a photographer to his friend in 1928. And I think he first got published in 1930. Okay. Uh, and then 33, he went to Cuba. When he was in Cuba, he met Hemingway. Yeah. Hmm. And Hemingway, wow. yeah, he had a job to go to Cuba and record. And he, I think he only had enough money to stay there for two weeks. And somehow he met Ernest Hemingway. And Hemingway lent him money to stay for another week. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good deal. It does. It, and what's funny is that he, um, Evan said that Hemingway was a big influence on him. Uh, I don't know if it was not his photography, obviously, maybe in his writing and stuff like that. But um, it seems like every photographer bumps into Hemingway. <laughs> he, well, he you and I up. haven't, I don't think. Other no, than no, no. Some of his books. I... <laughs> what kind of job was he doing in Cuba? Was it a commercial job? So, or? in yeah, in a, he was photographing for uh, an article, I believe, for Fortune magazine. I could be wrong. I mean, it could be a little wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm not uh, perfect on the facts, even though I just read them. <laughs> like, um, and I'm, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was for an article. And it's funny because for someone who is uh, a little bit against, you know, um, the you know, uh, well-to-do people, he worked for Fortune magazine a lot. <laughs> mm. um, you know, he eventually became the editor of Fortune or or an an editor, I should say, not the editor. Uh, for 20 years, from 1945 to 1965. And that's um, interesting, too, because if I remember correctly, he was completely without, uh, uh, didn't need to speak to anybody about it, anyone about editorial decisions, right? It was all him. Right, right. He got to make up his own jobs and send people out to shoot, yeah. So. Yeah, that was it's interesting. Just, it is, yeah. Uh, yeah, we just jumped ahead, but like you had mentioned, he worked, um, he got hired... By the government to photograph, uh, you know, during the Depression and show, you know, the what was going on with people in the United States during the, those terrible years. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, skipping ahead a bit, uh, in 1945, so after the war, he became a staff writer for Time magazine. Um, that didn't last long. And then he became the edit an editor for Fortune and eventually became a photography professor at Yale University. Uh, he stayed there for, I think, until he died um, in 1975. So pretty much of a uh, an interesting life. But, you know, like uh, going back, I grew up somehow seeing his work, right? And I think 
perhaps the first pictures I saw, you know, we're going to jump ahead a little bit in his timeline, mm -hmm. was his subway um, uh, portraits. So uh, during my street photography class, he's one of the photographers I bring up as uh, someone who's influenced me in my life. And I, and I show the students uh, a couple of pictures from the subway series. And I love describing that because he would ride the subway with a friend of his. Uh, her name was Helen Levitt, another Brooklyn street photographer. Uh, and uh, they would work together on the train. And he had a camera uh, sticking out from an overcoat. Um, and the little lens was sticking out. And I think he had the cable release in his pocket. And he would photograph people sitting on the train. He made portraits of people. And the pictures, uh, he would shoot, first of all, he would shoot in the winter, right? Because he had to wear an overcoat, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting because, like, yes, well, the subways were so bad back then that he couldn't be wearing an overcoat in the summer because the uh, subways were way too hot. So, oh, I see. You know, so he had to shoot during the winter. And he would also uh, shoot when the train was stopped because he had to use such a slow shutter speed and his film was so slow that he could not hold it steady enough when the train was moving. Wow. So anyway, there are these pictures of people sitting on the train, sort of lost in their world when like people do when they're riding a, a train. And I live in New York and I ride the train and I'm looking at these pictures of these people. And yes, they're from the 40s and they look different, but they look the same. As people mm. today, or when maybe I was growing up, the, people in the subway always look the same, I should just say. And, they they uh, wear different hats. They do wear different hats, and they don't wear nets over their faces anymore. <laughs> maybe <laughs> so, they should. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know what? They actually wear a lot more stranger things, I would think. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, as a young kid, seeing those pictures and recognizing the scenery uh, was something I think that drew me to, to his work always. But he's photographing the Brooklyn Bridge. He's photographing neighborhoods not far from me. He's, there was a series of pictures he did uh, on, I think, 62nd Street uh, in Manhattan, between, which is really funny. They, they say between 1st and 3rd Avenue, so, which is missing 2nd Avenue. So I mean, he, must, he might have been shooting uh, two blocks in, in New York City. Hmm. Uh, I don't know why. Um, but there's a lot of things like, you know, he's, he's, he's photographing things that I'm, uh, you know, aware of that, I'm, that I resonate with. And so I think I've always had a draw to him. Um, and I never really got into his, his work that he shot during the, um, during depression, although I was, I was, uh, aware of it, but I never really dove into it. Not, not as much as I did recently when I was reading up for, for this show. And seeing the differences in the styles and the similarities, like from shooting, you know, subway uh, portraits and uh, although he did the subway portraits after the Depression and the stuff he did in New York City and seeing how in, in some way it's different than when he did, in a you know, shooting for the FSA and somehow similar as well. But, uh, yeah, tell what drew what what of him draws you? What, well, the... sort of opposite to the what you were saying, I only really knew his work from the Depression era. So for years and years as a kid, teenager, and in my 20s, I thought that's really all he was known for was the FSA work and some of the later stuff and Let Us Now Praise. So 
I had kind of pigeonholed in him into that, but as I mm -hmm. got reading about him into my thirties and so on, um, then I found that he was a very important sort of a, call him like a nexus kind of photographer where maybe a whole generation of photographers who came in the 15, 20, 30 years later were inspired by him and the way he approached his work. Um, that he, he did something uh, a little bit different. He framed his images a little bit different. Um, in what way? In what, well, what, what do you, what do you think? when he would take a picture of, um, you know, the, the a building front, a, a garage, let's say, a, mm -hmm. a machine shop or a, a grocery store, a, that sort of thing. Uh, he, and he was shooting with the view camera still in that in that time. And he would kind of offset the frame a little bit, like make it, not make it a flat pattern, make it look a little three-dimensional. So and, and essentially you're saying not shoot straight onto the building, but exactly. like move off to the left or the right a little? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very likely he did the tilt shift thing to make the building look vertical and fine, whatever. That's fine. Just mm -hmm. To make it look flat and, and have a certain reality to it. But there's almost a three-dimensional quality to it. Sort of as if you were standing there. Um, and there's just a lot of depth and, um, I don't know what you'd call it, an echo of the people who had just been there, who had just left. Uh -huh. I know there's a picture of a farmhouse. I don't know if it's in Virginia with a with a, I guess a Model A or a Model T um, car just parked uh -huh. beside it. Uh -huh. And so it makes you wonder: Okay, did the farmer who owns that farm did he just get home? Like, or is he about to leave? Was this picture taken in the morning or the afternoon, or is he home for lunch? Like, there's not a lot of else going on in that farmyard. It's just the house and the grass and the kind of denuded trees in this car park side. So, you know, you're getting this kind of, admittedly, it's a fragment of what goes on, on the, in this farmyard, but it's sort of like, well, this family can afford a car and it's in pretty good shape. And, you know, just these things that there's a certain reality to it that makes you start to ask questions about what it is that you're looking at. And I think that's an essential aspect to, to Evans. And um, do you think that, you think. sorry, do you think there were other photographers doing that or was he, at least in America, or was he like one of the first? I mean, he's he's really a sort of, you know, he's an early on photographer. He's, you know, not everybody had cameras when he was around. So everything is kind of like the first time this is happening kind of thing. And so does he sort of fit that? Like, the, it sounds like this is sort of a unique way to photograph. Well, I think it's uh, unique for for the United States, right? Uh, mm -hmm. if, if one of his influences was at Jay. And I, th I think you and I had talked about him before where he would take pictures of storefronts and he was basically doing a survey of, um, of Paris, Paris, yeah, one of his yeah. projects. And so there, there's a feeling of poverty in certain, certain images and that sort of thing. And there's rarely, if ever, rarely pictures of people in them, but you kind of got a sense of what the place was like uh -huh. with, but the buildings are older in Paris. There's a certain romanticism to what uh -huh. you're looking at. When you're looking at an Evans picture, particularly during the Depression, it's much more gritty. Huh. So he takes that sort of documentary route, and then he has this poet mind, I think, and he's able to, you know, find compositions and subjects that sort of um, highlight that aspect of, I don't know, like it's not desperation, but you know, utter poverty, or uh -huh. or yeah. um, or anything it could be humor. Um, 
like there, there are lots of photographers that were inspired by him by these little bits i, I remember um it was just on a little while ago on uh, PBS there, south of the border, a um, documentary about uh, Gary Winogrand, who was in, also inspired by by uh -huh. Evans. And he, the first question he asked early on in that show was, "What is it that photography does best?" But describe, and Evans was, I think, one of the first to to use that poetic power and the descriptive power of photography to make his artistic statement. Oh. as opposed to capturing it just for what it was like um you know thinking of like the i don't know the civil war photographers who were just showing i don't know it, it, it's just you know bits and pieces of what's there yeah and evans, evans brought this poetic aspect to yeah it. he was inspired by matthew brady and i know he did a lot with um he had he eventually ended up printing some of his pictures for some some job i can't remember but he had access to his place but going back to wintergrand i found this great quote uh in this book called the hungry eye which is a great primer for um anybody who wants to read up on walker evans it's uh it's got a lot of little bits of his story and a lot of his pictures printed way too small for my taste but mm -hmm. um again it's a, it's an inexpensive, inexpensive book and it's a nice primer on it but anyway in that, uh, there was a quote by Gary Winogrand about Evans' photography, and, and I have to read this slowly because it takes a second to parse the words, but Winogrand said, the photographs of Evans are about what is photographed and how what is photographed is changed by being photographed and how things exist in photographs. <laughs> so, That's a very pour, Winogrand thing to say. Parse that out. It, well, Winogrand's from the Bronx, too, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. And, uh, you know, going back to things, uh, the, the thing about Evans, too, we were talking about this offline before, but that he does, he seems to do so many things well. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he's he's photographing these buildings uh, during the uh, uh, Depression. He's uh, with uh, James Agee uh, photographing three tenant uh, sharecropper families in Alabama and doing portraits of them. And, you know, we talked about trying to figure out which is like the quintessential, you know, Walker Evans picture. And I, I really couldn't come up with one. And you, and you said it was the the perhaps the picture of the uh, sharecropper uh the woman uh, the wife of the sharecropper um what's her name Ellie Mae Burroughs yeah um but there's so many other pictures of his that are sort of like I think fit that bill he doesn't have like the you know if you think about the shots from the people uh took during the depression like the Dorothea Lange shot of uh, the migrant mother I mean like everybody knows that shot you know mm -hmm. and that becomes the one standout but Evans seemed to do a lot of things well you know yeah. And uh, I mean, one of the things that uh, when I was going through his uh, bio, found out that he took a job for the uh, was it the Museum of Modern Art? I'm going to get this mixed up. Well, he was the first Art. photographer to be to have a show at at Museum of Modern Art. He was. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, it is true. Um, he was. Uh, hang on, let me find this information. God, I'm going to get the museum wrong now. It must have been for the, uh, oh gosh, this is bad. Anyway, it was um, an exhibit of uh, African uh, art and sculptures. Okay. And he was tasked to uh, photograph the pieces um, apart from the uh, uh, exhibit, right? And so he had to create these backdrops for these uh, like masks and sculptures and whatnot. 
and uh, it, it was a job, you know, so he had to do it. And he was paid a certain amount of money, and he had to do it at night. Um, he had to do it when the museum was closed. But one of the things he did was he ha- was having trouble lighting these these images. Uh, and so he came up with the idea of opening up the shutter for a long period of time and taking the light and walking around the sculpture with it. So essentially he was light painting. Um, and the idea was, yeah, and the idea for him was, or was to he was creating this sort of body of work that the uh, museums could send out, first of all, have an archive, but they'd create a portfolio and then send them out as a sort of, um, you know, uh, a living show of these, uh, of these uh, African art, you know, to send them out to different places. Um, but the pictures themselves are, are, you know, they're beautiful. But again, it's like a different, if you look at these things, the first thing you don't, you know, pop in your mind is, you know, Walker Evans, um, but they're beautiful shots of this work of art. So anyway, this is sort of a long way of saying, like, he did a lot of things, and I think he did them very well, you know. And I don't know the one picture that stands out. I mean, you talk about the one, you know, the the the, the, the Depression-era pictures standing out for you. For me, the subway pictures stand out for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, this guy, he did he did a lot of stuff in, in a, you know, kind of short period of time, I think. A lot of different things. Yeah, no, he was really he was really motivated, and, and he really wanted to express himself in a meaningful way, and you can see that um, in his work. Like he he never took an off day. Mm. You know, he really he really put his his effort and his mind into it. You know, and he got hired by the government to go and you know down south and shoot. And while he took that job, he decided like, okay, I'll work for them, but I'm gonna do my own stuff at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And uh, you're right. You're saying he went out with a with a, a, a view camera, an eight by ten view camera, and he would shoot two negatives. Um, mm. One uh, he called for safety, uh, and so because he didn't know what would happen during process. But his intention was to give one to the government and keep one for himself. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's there's a story around the Ellie May picture. He took one that was the serious one that was picked up for the book, and there's a more happy version of it that he has for himself. Mm. that have been published since so um it's kind of fascinating that you know who who is the person the same person who do you want how do you want them to be depicted in the book you know he uh-huh. had options uh-huh <laughs> well he was also very much against having his pictures used as propaganda well that's uh, what he said when he started with the with the fsa right he was not in the propaganda business right but with the whole thing about the fsa is was propaganda yes, wasn't yes it? it was <laughs> it's like yeah. And, and which is interesting because it strikes me that he was a smart guy. Like he seemed to do these things. Like he would say one thing, and then he would seem to go and do, you know, not exactly the opposite, but you know, in the other direction. Uh, and I can't quite figure out why he would do that, unless he's just, you know, like the rest of us, more complex and, you know, thinking we're going to do one thing, but we do something else because we have to or we choose to, and nothing wrong with it. I think he just wanted, to, like any creative person, not to be bound, you know, to have their uh-huh. own, have their own work. And it, and it was really lucky because that original um, assignment for what became "Let Us Now Praise" was an, a magazine article, uh-huh. which would have been a whole lot less content than what it turned out being. And uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Because you said you you've read it. I have, I just bought it, so. Like, uh, just a little bit of the context of it, you know. 
So what it is is, is uh, an account of three, uh, they're called tenant farm families, who lived in uh, Hale County, Alabama. Um, A.G. and Evans visited them in 1936, the summer of 1936, and uh, they brought a lot of attention into their little community because they thought maybe folks around maybe thought they were spies or something. There was uh-huh. a strange guy with this giant camera and this kind of you know handsome gregarious guy from the northeast asking a lot of questions and you know trying to understand what their lives were about and doing all this writing um and they made quite an impression for the time they were there and i haven't read and i or i don't remember how long they were actually with those families but what they came up with uh, i think it was like six weeks six weeks yeah yeah more or less most of the summer so yeah they got a real um, you know, portrait both from the photographic point of view and also from a prose and poetic and essay point of view about what their lives were like, what they were like as individuals, all their pluses and minuses, warts and all. Um, and so it's quite, you know, looking back, it's a bit of a, it's quite wordy and in, in some ways quite, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, dated. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's very, very descriptive. So when they're talking about, you know, the, the, the smells in the house and all that kind of stuff, you feel like you're you're really there uh-huh. with A.G.'s writing. Uh-huh. Um, so really the project is more about A.G.'s writing and Evan's photographs kind of punctuated it and gave you faces to the to the names that were in the book. And, was, and you, sorry. Uh, what was also interesting about it was they didn't use they had pseudonyms for all the people in the book and then um it went once they came out and there was a little bit of fame came back on the families they said well no it wasn't ally may it's ellie may and uh, you know my last name isn't cudger it's burrows uh-huh. and uh so there, there was a bit of you know it was their identities weren't very well hidden i mean they did they did rename all the communities around there for the for the purpose of the book, but it, uh-huh. it was pretty plain who the who those folks were. Um, but yeah, you know, it was just an editorial choice, I guess. It's you're saying this, and I realized that it was going down to do an article for Fortune magazine. This was not shot for the government then. These no, shots. it wasn't. No. So that's interesting because I, um, as I'm doing some you know research, I'm finding where I can download some of his photographs. And uh, there's a bunch of stuff up at the Library of Congress. And there's also a bunch of stuff at the New York Public Library, which is really kind of cool. And some of these pictures are there um, in in uh, sort of the public archives. So I'm actually kind of curious about that. If he was shooting for uh, an article for a magazine, why is this stuff in the public domain? Unless it's just because it's been, it's long enough that it's available. But... It's entirely so, possible. I think yeah, I almost all of his work is in the public domain now. I believe not all no. of it. No, no. A lot of it. Some of uh, when he died, um, his estate gave a big, uh, uh, large collection of his work, or whatever they had, um, to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and they own the copyright okay. for that. So there is some crossover uh, between the uh, Library of Congress and uh, um, what the Metropolitan Museum have, and those are not accessible. But there are some from the same, like, shoots that are accessible. So I I don't quite get the rights thing, and this is not sort of the direction I want to go in, but what's cool is that you can go, uh, you know, we we sort of said this uh, offline again, 
you know, because he shot a lot of the stuff uh, during the Depression, uh, some of it was shot for the government, and it's available for the public to view. It's sort of his gift to us, mm. um, which is, you know, is still there for us to access. And so I was able to find a lot of his pictures uh, that were that are quite beautiful. And, you, you know, if you want, you can download them. They're like, you know, you know, a couple hundred meg TIFF files, and if you wanted to, you know, print your own Walker Evans and hang them up in your walls, you, you could do that uh, without a problem. But I was just curious about that because I just realized that, you know, we think about these pictures of the migrant um, families as typical, you know, stuff that he may have done during, I mean, obviously during the Depression, but it wasn't a government thing. It was a privately run, you know, article. Yeah. I think the article was... Um, uh, suggested to by uh, Fortune by James uh, Ag, I don't think I don't know if Fortune came up with it. I think Ag pushed them to send them down there. Yeah, so I think anyway, they had crossed paths. They they had known each other. I think it was if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Who uh, they weren't just Evans. thrown together. I think Ag and Evans oh yeah no they knew each other, other but I meant they that uh, that. Uh, AG uh, pushed uh, Fortune to send them both down there okay. to do that. Yeah. What else? <laughs> well, we were kind of getting into the significance of him, right? Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, you know, inspiring a generation of photographers and some successive generations of photographers like you. Uh, who, well, you went on a tear. You went on Evans' tear. <laughs> you know, I did. So yeah, we were. Yeah. Um, yes, coming up with the idea that that uh, someone like Evans, you know, and we're just using him as an example, who has managed to do multiple things in his life that were really very good, and he wasn't just sort of pigeonholed with one thing. Like you know, he's not just known for the subway things. He's not just known for the depression. Uh, photographs um, and you know obviously I, I'm very influenced by things that I'm reading right at the time or doing right at the time so you know reading about him looking at him and I'm thinking uh, you know personally I'm going through my thing about like I'm getting a little tired of shooting street photography I mean it's there and there people are there and I like doing it but you know at a certain point there has to be something else to do mm-hmm. and uh, getting into reading about Evans or any other photographer or anybody else um, sort of in this case gets me out of my own little hamster wheel you know mm-hmm. and it's like oh well there's other things i can photograph there's other ways to look at things you know and so perhaps i decide to look at things the way evans did you know like you know just documenting right not trying to uh what is this how do they say it um not looking at something that is um that's something that can be photographed and it's not photographic does right. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So not, not the thing, but what the thing looks like photographed. Exactly. Exactly. And and I didn't quite. Um, I think that was on my my mind's eye. You know, I couldn't quite uh, put words to it when I was shooting. But I was thinking, okay, well, I can go and look at things in this way, in a way that Evans showed that we can look at things. And you know, personally, I found that a very freeing way to look. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, you know, I was like. And, you know, as I went further into his, in, you know, into his bio and, and hearing what he was having to say, it's like it sounded like he had some of the same things going on. You know, he was 
when he stayed in Europe, he was very influenced by European photographers and the and the uh, um, the real stark, you know, architectural uh, details and abstracts, and uh, thought there had to be something more to photography than just this. And and he was able to move on and do other things. So he was also influenced, you know, being influenced by Matthew Brady and the way Brady photographed the. Um, uh, Civil War, you know, the, the, the monuments or the battlefields and even the way soldiers were, you know, um, uh, standing up and being and being photographed against, you know, a tents or something like that. Uh, and you could see that he was able to say, well, there wasn't just one thing to do. There's all these different ways to photograph these things, right. you know. Um, and being that he used multiple different cameras, you know, he used a two and a quarter camera, he used an eight by ten camera. Uh, used a Leica for for shooting lots of pictures, you know, uh, street pictures. I don't know what he used for his subway shots. Um, I'm really intrigued by that because you know, how did he wind the film yeah. when the <laughs> when the when the cameras Practical underneath considerations of shooting covertly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, but yeah, you know, uh, he's it's I don't know uh, I don't know where else to go with that. Well, he's a multi-talented dude who has a, this important place in not just American photography, but I think world photography. He was one of those guys who could, who, like I say, took took his work very seriously. He was at a time in history when there was something important that needed to be documented, and he was one of the guys, and he was maybe, you'd say, the guy um, to document that for hmm. You know, and uh, I think, you know, in terms of the inspiration for other photographers and, um, you know, his importance now, I know you had come up with some questions about, you know, yeah, what yeah. his importance is now. That's, yeah, I was he, thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely resonates. In um, what way? What do you think? Well, just the, the way he captured the people and the, the locations that he that he photographed. It's sort of like, you know this picture of this vegetable store in the middle of Mississippi in the 30s it's sort of like oh this is how people lived their lives this was uh -huh. the place you went and look there there's no there are no locks on the doors the door just turns with a piece of wood to stop it from flying in the in the wind and you know the car's parked there and there's a barrel of potatoes out front uh -huh. and uh -huh. Just like the the meaningless detail. So we, we you know we talk about when we shoot street photography and who's going to be looking at this and these cars that I'm photographing or whatever. Well, you know, skip ahead fifty years or eighty years, uh -huh, uh -huh. then that'll become interesting. Well, that's what we're looking at here with him, right? Uh -huh. um, these these do places think, do that don't exist anymore. Do you think there could be uh, someone like Walker Evans today, or you think if someone like him could only exist during the time? that he was around i mean well to the extent that so many people are inspired by him you could say think of the magnum photographers or whoever who without a doubt how are influenced by him whether they're aware of it or not mm -hmm. but in terms of the community of photographers and being a uh, kind of the star i think you know the setting up of the fsa and those photographers that worked and the ones that we know of that produce that really strong that really strong work uh, I think is pretty hard to replicate yeah um, you know what, it, it, what, what would be the analog now would it be I don't know war photographers or 
I don't know because you it's, know, like there isn't there there isn't that. I mean, the depression wasn't a war, really. I mean, in some way it was, but not. And and I think there's pictures that these folks, uh, just talking, going back to the FSA. A lot of people didn't know about this way of life. It was alien to them. They, mm-hmm. All the all the news they got was for newspapers and radio, and you know. One thing AG's prose does in in um, let us now um, praise is uh, it is its really careful description of what they saw and felt and smelled and everything. Um, that we have social media, we have you know even some of the poorer kids among us have phones. We can we know exactly um, they or they can document their own lives. There's there's uh-huh. no. There's no, there doesn't seem to be an alien landscape anymore. I mean, the content that they're sending could be, but you could, you know, you could find, just go on Instagram and do a search or Google or whatever, do a search for a particular place on the planet and you can see the photography that's generated there. It's like there's nothing, there's not much left to the imagination. There's not that much that's sort of unknowable anymore, photographically speaking. I don't think that feeds into it. Hang on a second. Let's 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 dovetail this into the uh, the zine that you just got in the mail today, and the one no, I just got. Pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, since you brought this to my attention, uh, maybe you can explain it quickly. What it what it is? Because what you were just saying, I'm, I'm thinking about this. You know, kids with iPhones and whatnot, or or people documenting. This is a the, the name of the. Go ahead. <laughs> Okay. I'm getting now, too excited I've, by it. I've blanked on the title. It's An American okay, the, Town. What's it called? The All American Town. The All American Town. The yeah. Photography Project by the Rural Arts Collaborative Bel Air High School. Yeah, that's Bel Air, Ohio, which is just across the river from West Virginia, if I'm not okay. mistaken. Okay. Um, uh, the, wait, let me just read the back of it. The back of it says, because I, I bought this too. These photographs and statements are a sharing of our collective truth and imagination. Students of the rural Arts Collective Bel Air High School published May tenth, two thousand nineteen. So, I, I have it in front of me. If you don't have it in front of me, I, I'll, I'll describe some pictures. But tell me how you found this and uh, how this, you know, may work into uh, uh, Evans well, in some way. That's, that's great that you made this connection. Um, ah, there is because <laughs> uh, it gets late at night. I can find these things. <laughs> so there's these uh, fifteen or sixteen high school students. Um, under the um, under the tutelage of a fairly well recognized photojournalist, I think she is, mm-hmm. who just lives across the river in Wheeling, West Virginia, mentored them in uh, just basically documenting their lives and the subjects. Uh, the, the, the content is a is is black and white photographs in a zine, so it's like a magazine size, mm-hmm. um, like a trade shape, uh, trade um, dimensions. And the photographer you're talking about was Judy Walgren. Judy Walgren, thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, so they they photographed their lives and the, the ups and downs of high school life and living in a small town, which I can relate to growing up in a small town. And um, they came up with this zine, and it's it's really amazing because you can you, the the sense of of sometimes isolation and. Um, the word i'm looking for that you know you're you're not popular uh you're mm-hmm. 
and, and kind of the emotional life of a teenager and not in this day and age it's palpable in that book it's in mm-hmm. that zine it's it's amazing mm. um and and it, it's it's amazing because they they didn't have any limits they could shoot maybe if they were shooting with their iphones or their whatever digital cameras they have they had have a lot of flexibility in terms of shooting at night or shooting during the day and in cold weather there's some really interesting stuff that was shot around snow uh-huh. um, it's just these little vignettes of their lives uh, and it has a lot it's a very deep uh, feeling uh, and meaning to these kids and, it, and it, circling back to Evans um, there was definitely a poetry to it we know that uh-huh. young young folks teenagers they feel things much more than you know old codgers like you and I do and it, this <laughs> stuff is this really meaningful Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can feel that uh, as you go through it, and you uh, you kind of relive your high school years to a certain extent, and you're also searching around as to the you know how how strong the pictures are photographically, if you want to take the art critic stance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you find a lot of things are uh, I don't want to say um, they're not flattering. You know, there's like a lot of on camera flash. Um, type of pictures. I mean, not snapshotty, you know, nope. um, very kind of raw pictures, very documentary, um, you know, looking at, uh, I mean, you can definitely see the roots of uh, like an Evans in this, especially some of the interiors that are lit with like a straight on flash that remind me of uh, some of the shots from the Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, where uh, Evans is photographing the insides of the uh, sharecropper's house and mm-hmm. and using raw flash uh, because there's not enough light in there. And it gives this kind of almost, um, gosh, you know, I want to say like police photographer kind of look, like a like just literally a recording of the room yeah. with light, you know? Yeah. And like here I'm looking at uh, the students. One of their pictures is... Uh, looks like a uh, it's a candelabra or it looks like a menorah almost and it's and it's lit straight on uh, against a speckled wall with a map in the background black and white looks very harsh it's a beautiful image and it's not being you know lit with nice fancy lights it's just you know whatever the person was photographing with and there's a lot of that in this room so when you pick up the zine of this kid's work you know and and you go back and you think of uh someone like Evans or any of the people he, uh, he was working with during that time, it's like these, this is a direct, you know, line to that kind of work. Here's actually, there's a great shot of some sneakers in a gutter mm-hmm. or something. And uh, the text underneath it says, I fear an unpleasant death. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, there's one thing that the zine has over Evans in that Evans documented what he saw and felt with these people that he was just getting to know uh-huh. these kids are creating images based on their lives that this is me right so there's right. much more of a direct line to the human experience there than there is in a trying to figure out what's going on to i'm telling you what's going on and i think that makes it very valuable as a as a piece of art yeah and you know actually as you're saying that um I'm remembering our our chat about uh, Lartigue, 
uh, in his photographic style and where they came from. And, and somehow Evans is almost the exact opposite. There's almost no pictures uh, in any of the things I've seen that document his own life. Like everything, like none of it has to do with him. No, all you see There's, is those portraits of him by his famous photographer friends. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's but all. That, all the and they're great things. shots of him, but there's, yeah. but nothing, he has not like take, uh, early on, maybe there's some self portraits, like shadows that he did of himself. Uh, uh, but that's early on in his photograph, uh, photography career. But later on, it's like nothing to do with him. Like every once in a while, like he'll ca catch himself in a mirror someplace uh, you know, shooting a barber shop, and you can see him in the background in the mirror a little mm -hmm. bit. But none, none of the pictures that I've seen have anything to do with his life. Like he's always documenting somebody else's life, which is, you know, going back to Lartigue, and Lartigue was all about photographing himself and and the people he knew and and whatnot. So I just think that's very interesting. And you're mentioning that because of these students; they're all documenting their own lives. Uh, also, too, or, I'm just wondering. I'm just snowboarder spitballing yeah. here um <laughs> something snowballing spitballing so i'm doing something um that maybe he didn't want to bring attention to his his affluent upbringing i think maybe maybe he he liked being out in the field he liked the work that he was doing um, mm -hmm. and that that he just didn't think it was interesting for folks is that the idea of being a pure documentarian like you just uh, could be I mean, absolutely as much of a fly in the wall as possible it has nothing mm -hmm. to do with you that's kind of a hard thing to do, I think. I mean, that's why, you know, asking that question, could someone uh, like Evans be around today? And the only people I would come up with off the top of my head would be like photojournalists who really much are, you know, about documenting uh, the world and not anything about them uh, or in their involvement with their subjects or anything like that. Right. But, um, and the rest of us are all <laughs> about ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, taking pictures of ourselves. Um, so yeah. So why do you think the, why do you think people should be interested in uh, Evan's work? I mean, I, I always think about this question because I, I ask people, you know, in my photography classes, first of all, I have to understand that people, you know, did not grow up in, uh, the photography world like I did. Right. So, you know, formal education, I kind of knew about Evans anyway, in some way, but people today, they don't know anything about these people. No. So, um, you know, when we, people are listening to the show or thinking about it it's like like why why should they be interested in his work like what do you think well i would i guess i would put it this way um we could educate just go google him have a look at his images and if they resonate with you then hooray you know mm -hmm. that's that's you can't you really you think doing that is is a worthwhile thing to do because it is in the context of uh, if you're having a conversation about photography with somebody and, uh -huh. and Walker Evans comes up or he, in a class or whatever, I'd encourage anyone to go Google him or, or carry on the conversation like you and I about the value of his work. Right. And, but, you know, well, I was gonna, you, go ahead. You, have, you, have, you have to experience, I think you have to experience the art to see whether or not it's going, it's going to have an impact. I mean, I don't know that, you know, we shout from the rooftops. I don't know what we can <laughs> well, do. He's great. You know, you know, as you said, that like sort of the practical thing is, I mean, again, I'm coming old school here, right? You know, but when you when you go and Google something, you get you get a, like a flood, right, of mm -hmm. without any context. 
of anything. It's it's a flood of imagery of words from people that don't. It's just it's like a it's a blender of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, you know when you mentioned doing the show and I decided to dive into some of the books I've got and I got some sort of you know uh, careful kind of leading into his life you know and it was curated in some way obviously because it was written by somebody um and you know contrasting the two things like going off and just you know when you google him it's just like looking at a bunch of stuff like looking at instagram like what what do you make of it but um doing some sort of uh i don't know i don't know there's something about that that just (laughs) you know I, i I don't know if that's okay. So, uh, but you know, I get what I, you're I, saying. Okay, yeah. so why don't we start with um, just, just having folks have a look at um, his his quintessential volume, the American is it American photographs? Yes, American photographs. That's, American that's photographs. Com- that's coming in the mail tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> More money to spend. Um, yes. Do you have that book? No, I oh. I borrowed it from the library once upon a time. I should get uh-huh. it, but I've got uh-huh. I've got a backlog already, so I yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, that one is the it's a basically a monograph of a, a, from all over the place from I don't know when he started from but when he started till the when I forget when it was published. I can't 1938, remember. Yeah. 1930. Anyway, so there's the condensation and it's like 400 pages isn't it it's huge um and start there and i i'm in my mind i always a- ask people to have a look at it and if it resonates with them uh-huh. we can uh-huh. continue the conversation um uh-huh. that's that you know i can't i can't you know beat a dead horse if someone doesn't like it yeah yeah if yeah. it doesn't appeal or appeal to somebody's uh, aesthetic or or kind of art um, previous art experience there isn't mm-hmm. really much you can do to make to make someone uh, understand it no, or value it of course not you know I, again i come from that place of like it's it's incredibly valuable to sort of pay attention and learn to the people whose shoulders we stand on while we're doing this stuff like why do we photograph like this why why you know why is street photography like this why do why is documentary photography like this well it, it kind of started someplace you know mm-hmm. and it, it's kind of great to go back into time uh i'm big advocate of of I'm, I'm becoming more of a big advocate of learning these people like you know from scratch learning and seeing what they do and what the context that they were in uh and everything like that uh but yeah you know if it resonates it's great if it doesn't so what right just move on on to the next thing um but uh yeah it's always fun to like try to find out do you you know like a student do you know walker evans people like huh who what (laughs) you know i had the pleasure of today showing somebody uh this book that i got um uh, the hungry eye which is the one i was telling you about at the beginning is a good also a good little primer on his stuff and and sitting him down and saying you know I'm, I'm reading about this guy look at these guys pictures and he was flipping through the book and he was like you know seeing pictures of coney island and seeing pictures of the brooklyn bridge and the subway shots and and um it was really good to to see someone sort of experience walker evans for the first time you know uh that was a nice experience for me that was cool. to be able local to, and local um sights and sounds that's cool yeah 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 it was actually someone i work with and and uh, he's actually he's doing a documentary now on greenwood cemetery uh 
which was uh, it's like yeah well you know they're same time period everybody you know <laughs> kind yeah. of so um yeah so any kind of last we've been on for a little while now, yeah so any kind of last thoughts i mean we barely scratched the surface with this guy you know um and uh i, I have a feeling we have to come back and, and yeah i think so i, I mean do some I, dives I just in i look at him i look at evans as as um as such an inspiration to the later photographers, the Winogrands and the, um, the Robert Frank, uh, that whole aspect of capturing life and, and culture in, mm -hmm. in America. Um, he's, oh, he's kind of the center of that. I think the beginning has he, ins has he inspired you? He has in terms of his aesthetic. I mean, once again, I'm the Canadian talking about American photographers. And so we'll, we'll get, we'll get Fred Herzog. We'll get somebody, we'll get a Canadian photographer on here one of these days. I promise. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. But yeah, the way he frames things, the stillness of his, uh, of his images, the, because I was using a view camera and I didn't know that when I was a kid, but there was this deliberate aspect to it. It was, it was not just a snapshot. These pictures uh -huh. were not just snapshots. They were deliberately set up and they had tons of detail in them. There was a careful, uh, careful consideration of the creation of the pictures. And I think, you know, in opposition to Ansel Adams, which was a different kind of consideration, which was uh -huh. wide angles and, and getting nature, which d did and didn't appeal to me at the time. Walker Evans was about people and locations and a closer, uh -huh. uh, a closer view, a more zoomed in view of what he was looking at and faithful depiction of what he saw. So that's, yeah. that's what I get out of, that's what I get out of Walker Evans. Yeah. And, and like I said, for me, it's like, you know, I love Ansel Adams stuff, but I can't relate to him. You know, right. I can't relate to going out into the West and sh shooting these giant landscapes or even understanding them. But, you know, uh, walker evans is walking around taking pictures of garbage in the street and i'm like that i can get into you know yeah. <laughs> like that's something that i see and if someone like him can sort of help me appreciate these things that are literally all around us you know every minute of the day I, there's there's something that uh i can create art with by photographing and and uh he's sort of helped me see things he's one of the photographers I mean, he's not the only photographer but you know he's certainly one of them uh no, he's so the man he goes on, yeah, he goes on. And uh kinda wish I had a chance to meet him. <laughs> like, I was telling you, I've I've been able to meet a lot of photographers. Never got a you know, I was ten years old when he passed away, so that wasn't gonna happen. So anyway. Uh I'm gonna leave it at that. This we we've got got about an hour in. So uh Sounds good to me. I, I really uh want to encourage anybody who's listening to go and, and at least flip through some of the books you know um and the uh the one you're talking about uh, uh, american photographs uh i think is based on wasn't it based on one of the shows that he had oh it was a catalog for maybe it was a catalog for the moma I, show i, don't I know. think it might have been a catalog yeah okay. uh that and the um the one i was talking about the hungry eye because there's a there's a uh some nice text in that about his life and it goes through a lot of the the little segments of it but uh yeah the next book on my list is um let's now praise uh famous men yeah. so i'm gonna read that so i definitely encourage you and then i want to have links in the show notes to uh 
the couple of his collections at the New York City Public Library and the Library of Congress. Depending on where you are, you may or may not be able to access those. Um, I was able to access them from uh, from here in Calgary. So, both the Library of Congress and the, the uh, New York um, Public I Library. I didn't try. Actually, I didn't try the Library of Congress. The New York Public Library, I was able to get to. Yeah. Although, could you get them with a VPN? No, nope, I, I just got them through my connection. No, but I mean, if you were having trouble with it, like if they were like a different country, was uh, possibly I don't know. VPN, it really yeah. depends on how they were set up. Yeah, and you put a link uh, also with PBS American Experience show. What is that? Yeah, what it is is they went back in '87 and '88 to meet the families those uh, uh, of the ones that were depicted in now, now let us praise. Um, and talk with them about their reaction to the book and what their lives were like at that oh. time and so on. Uh -huh. It's quite fascinating. Oh, okay. Um, and it's, I think it would be a good postscript maybe after you've read it or if you've skimmed through it or whatever. Um, it's it's uh, kind of interesting because some of the those young girls that are in the picture are these women in their 50s and 60s now. And oh, really? They're reminiscing about or recounting um, AG's and Evan's visit. Oh, that's interesting. It is okay. interesting. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I found a, a little four-minute video uh, called "In His Own Words," where uh, Evans is talking about uh, his work uh, and some of the sh stuff that he did. So that's worth listening to. I, I got those in the show notes. So, and uh, I wanted to end on one quote that he's that uh, is attributed to Evans that I think really is uh, worth. Uh, hearing mm -hmm. uh, and it's the uh, quote he says stare it is the way to educate your eye and more stare pry listen eavesdrop die knowing something you're not here long um, I think that kind of says a lot you know yeah. so yeah we're not here long keep looking prying taking pictures yeah. and uh, definitely uh, definitely enjoy Evans when you can so anyway uh, Ward thanks for thanks for chatting with me about this that's yeah, my pleasure yeah we're, like i said we're gonna have to find someone we don't agree on <laughs> oh we, we can, we can find, we, we, we want to put a baseline of cooperation first before we bring out the that's dogs. true right yeah <laughs> we can get people to say whoa you guys I think you're crazy yeah, yeah 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 all right so look hey why don't you tell everybody uh who has doesn't know where they can find you and your stuff um my primary, my primary motive of sending uh, images out is on Instagram, and I'm Ward Rosin Fine Art, W-A-R-D-R-O-S-I-N Fine Art. Um, I have a website where uh, I, I have a blog, which I haven't touched in a while, but it's rosin.ca, R-O-S-I-N.ca. And I'm on Facebook. You just look for Ward Rosin, W-A-R-D-R-O-S-I-N, and you will find me because I'm the only one. Yeah, so thanks for uh, thanks for spending your evening with me. It's great, man. All right, Appreciate and uh, yeah, and you can find me at uh, amrosario.com, uh, amrosario on Instagram, amrosario on Flickr, amrosario on Twitter. Uh, just look for me there. And uh, hey, if you subscribe to the show on iTunes, uh, please give me a review, a thumbs up, uh, stars, whatever they have there. 
get more people listening to the show. I would love to have that. And the next show is my 100th show. I have no idea what I'm doing for it. I do know they'll have new music. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, but uh, yeah, that will happen at the end of the month. I've never I've 100 shows. It's going to be crazy. So I was maybe hoping. Well, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to give anything away. So we'll see. Uh, I'll try to make it worthwhile. So anyway, thanks for uh, hanging in there. And uh, yeah, let us know how you like the show. And uh, I will uh, see you later. And if Tom was here, he'd say adios.